Welcome to Disrupt, a podcast of the Cedarville University Center for Pharmacy Innovation. Today on the podcast, I am joined by Brandon Welch, clinical sports wellness pharmacist for Baptist Health South Florida, founder of the Pharmacy Athlete and president of the Sports Pharmacy Network. Dr. Welch completed his PharmD at the University of South Florida. He later obtained a master's degree in physiology and kinesiology with a concentration in human performance at the University of Florida. He is a certified sports nutritionist, nutrigenomics specialist, consultant pharmacist, and wellness coach. I'm so excited about our conversation today with Dr. Brandon Welch. For years, he has been teaching athletes effective and practical ways to improve their metabolic health and optimize human performance. He's worked with all kinds of individuals, including elite athletes ranging from the weekend warriors like myself to professional athletes in the NHL, NFL, PGA, and ATP. So welcome to the podcast, Brandon. We are so excited to have you today. Hey, thanks for having me, Justin. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, without further ado, I would love if you could just tell your story of what inspired you to become a sports pharmacist. Yeah, I mean, this started from um, when I was a kid. You know, I was always really active in sports. Um, I played travel basketball, high school basketball. So I've always pretty much competed at a high level um, when you think of sports. Um, And then fast forward into me going into pharmacy school, you know, that passion for sports and fitness has followed me along throughout the years. So while I was in pharmacy school, um, you know, I was obviously active in the books, but also, you know, I did a lot of uh, half a marathon runs. I participated in quite a few, you know, sporting events. And so, you know, while I was in pharmacy school too, I was really active in the gym. And then oftentimes I would see some of my classmates. And so um, when it came to my classmates, I would always kind of offer free fitness advice, techniques, uh, different nutrition advice to some of my classmates who may be trying to improve uh, muscle endurance, muscle strength, put on some size, um, lose some body weight, which is often uh, sometimes difficult being in pharmacy school with all the work that's that's thrown out that's thrown at you. But also from time to time, I'll post different fitness and nutrition nuggets to try to help keep my classmates healthy on our on our class Facebook page. Um, and little did I know, you know, people were thinking of different names to kind of coin me and to coin to kind of coin for me. And then so uh, some of my classmates would call me Health as Welch. Or um, they'd call me pharmacy athlete, which which end up establishing into the brand that I have right now. And then, you know, throughout pharmacy school and then me matriculating into being a pharmacist, um, you know, I graduated and I went straight into working for retail and doing some management for a few years. But I noticed even as a manager in retail pharmacy, I noticed that my most value was always out on the floor, not really behind the counter. And so I found myself constantly consulting with patients on evidence-based nutraceuticals and then really helping them bet on which, you know, uh, supplements have the best value and have the most evidence. And so I started having a little glimpse and a flashback of some of my passion and interest as a child, which is that sports, fitness, and, and wellness piece. And so 
I, w- I was always trying to figure out and scratch the surface, like how do I find this intersection between my passion and expertise is because I found myself saying like, hey, I went to school for all these years. I'd hate to abandon any of these skills. There has to be a way that I can carve out to figure out how can I mesh these things, these, these two things together between pharmacy and sports. And so um, I end up going back to back to school. I went to the University of Florida, as you mentioned, to get my master's in uh, exercise science with a focus on human performance. I took this class that really gave me an itch to want to pursue this even further. It's called ergogenic age, which is a fancy word for uh, performance enhancing supplements. And I learned about how athletes sometimes suffer from you know, uh, the risk of taking supplements that can have banned substances, and then also um, not really being well directed or guided on what um, the clinically effective doses or any of the evidence. And so I always realized like, like too, Justin, is that I love biochemistry. And so biochemistry and understanding pathways also helps me understand how nutrition or nutrients can be well metabolized or served as cofactors for um, for certain things that are important for you know uh, human performance. And I'll give you a good example. You know, collagen, and thinking of you know how iron helps support the synthesis of collagen, um, and then also thinking of iron, how vitamin C helps with the metabolism of iron, and why is this important for human performance? Is because it helps with the release of oxygen to the work in tissues, which is obviously important for, for human performance and collagen could be help, can be very helpful for muscle recovery. And so I started to create this toolbox and inventory of things that started coming to mind as I, uh, as I started you know, educating myself of different pieces. And so after I did that, I just started randomly just putting out content on, on social media, mainly LinkedIn, just to kind of see, okay, where does this interest really lie? And then um, little did I find out is that um, there were a few people that were watching me uh, behind the scenes. And um, that kind of that's kind of what segued into the role I'm in right now is because the visionary and innovator, uh, Madeline Camejo, who's a chief pharmacy officer for Baptist, combined minds with the sports medicine physician for Baptist that I have a collaborative practice agreement with Dr. Michael Swartzen. And they said, hey, maybe there is a need for a, a sports wellness pharmacist. And so, you know, as I started that position, which is the role I'm in today, uh, one of the key things that really taught me is how do I be a part of the athlete's health care team, this ecosystem, and create this interdisciplinary work to help optimize performance and to protect the athlete for clean sport. And so um, I started, you know, coming up with different responsibilities and, and pretty much the value that a pharmacist can essentially add to an athlete's healthcare team. And, you know, like I said earlier, it's, it's not about abandoning any of these skills as a pharmacist is because there's a lot of value there. And, you know, I'm all about trying to perform at the top of my license is because often what's overlooked is that, hey, athletes have medical conditions and athletes take medications, too. And so that's always the primary starting point. But then you start to look at some of the other 
very microscopic things, such as how nutrients are metabolized for human performance, running laboratory tests to figure out, okay, are there certain key nutrients or are there certain labs that are abnormal, whether that be on their CBC or their complete metabolic panel that can be impairing or impacting their performance. And again, start, start getting into that toolbox. And I think that's where the clinical piece really comes in at is because, you know, while athletic trainers, strength and conditionists and nutritionists have their specialty, I think the clinical component is oftentimes overlooked when it comes to the value of a pharmacist. And so, um, you know, in a nutshell, you know, this, this long road to Rome has really led me into the position that I'm in today and also allowing me to be a consultant on the side for some of these weekend warriors. As you mentioned, like yourself, um, you know, I live in Naples, Florida. And for me, my typical clientele is these pickleball players. (laughs) (laughs) So so, um, then some of these high school athletes. And so um, that's really what helped me also put on my entrepreneur hat. Well, Brandon, pickleball players need optimal uh, performance too, right? (laughs) They do. (laughs) Yeah, Brandon, what I love most about your story is the simple fact that all you did was pursue passions you had. And you saw those come together as you shared those passions combined with some skills and knowledge you gained from uh, lots of education, both as a pharmacist, but also in your master's degree. And that's where I think innovation really happens. Sometimes it's just about pursuing a passion that we have and seeing what happens from it. So you're setting a lot of new ground for lots of pharmacists, and I see this taking off in the future. Um, Hey, you've kind of mentioned this, but I'm curious, who are your typical clients? You've got pickleballers, you've got professional athletes. What does that typical client look like for you in your practices? So it, it's 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 a wide range. So you got you know active or veteran professional athletes. Um, you know your weekend warriors. I, I always say this too. We're, we're we're all athletes, just just destined or waiting to be determined. And so whether that be you know your your typical person that does recreational activity, that they can also be considered considered an athlete. Then I also deal with quite a bit of retired athletes. And so. The, the interesting thing about these retired athletes is they're, they're so used to training at a hundred, but when you're no longer, when you no longer have to have to do that because the demands of what you're doing has essentially dropped down, you're no longer playing the football at a high level. You're no longer playing the basketball at a high level. You don't need to ramp up your body system that high. And so I'm constantly having to educate to some of the retired athletes, like, hey, like, hey, you can tone it down a little bit. It doesn't always have to be high intensity uh, exercises. Mix in some moderate to low intensity. And then also, you know, the coaching staff uh, for the teams that, that we support. And so, um, you know, between that is typically is typically is typically the clientele that I work with. Okay, I think that gives us a a wide perspective of the type of things that you get to do. So take me into a day in the life for Dr. Welch at Baptist Health. So what are the typical things that you're doing during the day? What kind of services do you specifically offer in conjunction with your interprofessional team? Yeah, so first things first, being a pharmacist is medication therapy management. 
And so, as I mentioned earlier, Justin, like, hey, athletes take medications too. And so there's things that comes up, whether that be an athlete that may suffer from a concussion and they're having mood disturbances weeks later, you know, sometimes they may need to be on an SSRI or sometimes they may need to be on a migraine medication for prophylaxis. But we have to be very specific is because not all SSRIs are created equally, as you're aware, and then not all migraines are created equally. And so understanding, okay, and I'll give you a good example. What SSRI will not impact the vestibular system, which is essentially impacted by someone who gets a concussion? So understanding what SSRI that is, and I'll, uh, I'll do another example, like fluoxetine can cause agitation. One of the hallmark symptoms and signs could be agitation from concussion. So medication like that, you may want to stay away from. Um, and then also, you know, the athletes get bacteria infections. Right. So, for example, we want to stay away from uh, fluoroquinolones because the, they increase the risk of, of, uh, of tendon ruptures. Um, athletes take antidepressants. And so medication therapy management is one of them. And then obviously uh, also counseling on some of the potential side effects. Um, doing, a, doing a performance supplement review. That's one of the common things I do for some of the athletes. Um, uh, reevaluating or, or evaluating labs and interpreting, interpreting them to the provider or also maybe the athletic trainer. And so if, if, for example, you have an athlete that has complaints of what's called overtraining syndrome, where they feel like very fatigue ran down, where they're almost overworking their body system, sometimes you'll see this on their blood work. Um, and then also we do quite a bit of hyaluronic acid injections. Um, and so sometimes athletes get these knee injuries where hyaluronic acid injections are needed. We do uh, what's called PRP, platelet-rich plasma. There's certain medications that need to be suspended. And then also more into the um, nutrition piece too. And so one of the things I also do is what's called uh, nutrigenomics. And so personalized nutrition and so, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, understanding nutrient metabolism, I'll do something like this uh, alongside of the sports dietitian or one of the teams that we work with. Um, I'm constantly getting questions from the sports medicine providers on what NSAIDs we should use after a game or after an injury. Because again, not all NSAIDs are created equally is because certain NSAIDs can affect soft tissue healing. Um, and so some, these are some of the common responsibilities and duties that I do on a, on an everyday basis. Brandon, uh, you get involved with so many things and I, I think it's, it's a lot of fun to hear about. I'd love to dive into some ideas a little bit more with you and, um, in, and kind of following some of the stuff that you've been doing on LinkedIn and your YouTube channel stuff that we'll talk about later on as well. Um, I, yeah. I, one of the key themes that I've heard you talk about is this idea of metabolic health. Um, and I, I've just read a book as well from Dr. Peter Atia called Outlive that talked a lot about metabolic health and functional movement and all kinds of stuff that's probably up your alley. So I'd love for you to maybe just talk a bit more about how important this idea of metabolic health is to the athlete. What is metabolic health and what's involved with it? So let's start with metabolic syndrome. So if we think about the components that influence metabolic syndrome, like high blood pressure, 
um, low HDL, high density lipoprotein, um, uncontrolled blood sugars, waist circumference, out of whack triglycerides. And um, there was actually an interesting study done at UNC where it said only one out of 12 people are considered metabolic health, healthy, are considered metabolically healthy. And how do we define metabolically healthy? That means that an individual has none of those five conditions that I just mentioned. And that's a small number, Justin, when you actually think about it. And so oftentimes with these retired athletes, as I mentioned uh, a little bit earlier on the podcast, is like they're so used to moving at 100 when the demands for their activity no longer have to match that. And so essentially, if you think about how the body's working, you're over, you're constantly overworking it. You know, you're putting it into high gear when it doesn't need to be. And that can essentially impact someone's blood pressure, someone's blood sugar, someone's triglycerides. And so we try to catch some of these things before it gets into metabolic syndrome, syndrome, which is three out of those five conditions that I mentioned. And so I always like to be very specific, right? And stick to the evidence. So if we think about diet, the Mediterranean diet that's constantly been studied and following those food patterns to help stay metabolically healthy from a dietary perspective. One of the things I love about Peter Atia is he's very specific too. When we think about exercise, you know, what's commonly talked about when it comes to patients and, and talking about exercise, we say, hey, exercise 150 minutes a week, five days, five days per week. That's fine, but that's very general. People do not know what to do with very general advice. That's right. <laughs> and so with Peter, Peter Atia, he talks about VO2 max, which is the maximum amount of, maximum amount of oxygen your body is able to utilize during high intensity exercise. And why is that important? Because VO2 max is actually a strong predictor of cardiovascular disease. And so if you have a high VO2 max, that's good. It's because it lowers your risk of, of cardiovascular disease. Now, if you have a low VO2 max, that means you could possibly be a little bit concerned. You can be at an increased risk of cardiovascular disease. And this is where we get very specific in some of the recommendations that we make. Something as simple as, uh, and there's a study done too, Justin, on step count, 10 to 12,000 steps a day. Most people wear a, uh, some type of wearable device. And so looking at some of these um, modifiable risk factors that can play an impact into our metabolic health, I think that's the point that I always try to drive home with some of these retired athletes that I work with. Like, you don't have to do the high-intensity stuff every single day. Do something as sometimes turn it down, turn it down a notch. Do some more low or moderate-intensity exercise. One of the other things that, that Peter Atia talks about, which I totally agree with, is toning it down to low to moderate exercise, doing more zone two training where your heart rate is in a specific zone. Best way to measure that, and I'm sure you know this from, from reading his book, is lactate, looking at those lactate levels, staying within a certain lactate threshold and understanding how your body clears lactate, which is essentially a proxy for metabolic health versus lactate building up in the body, which puts you at risk for one of those metabolic health conditions that I talked about a little bit earlier. 
And so in essence, you know, when I talk about metabolic health, it's mainly me tapping into very specific things that I believe can impact one of those five risk factors that I mentioned. Yeah, I, I I think this is kind of the next phase of all of medicine that we need to move to. You know, we, we're very good at taking care of people once they already have these conditions, right? But Absolutely. how can we do better at starting these behaviors, whether it's movements or diets or other things, so that we never get there, or at least do our best to stave it off for a while? So I love that you are so focused on this in your own practice. Hey, Brandon, I'm curious, do you ever use continuous glucose monitoring with any of your athletes? Athletes, and are you involved with uh, any of that management? We haven't used any uh, CGMs with any of the athletes that I've worked with, okay. but uh, I've used it personally for myself, um, trying to re really periodize my nutrition uh, for some of the half marathons that I've done a few times. And um, I can see it being very beneficial for the athletes is because also when it comes to data, we always got to remember that that's not the only thing that we can rely on. There's so many other variables that play a part into affecting an athlete's performance. But if you think about it, like if you're running a marathon and your, your blood sugars are always on seesaw and they're not very well regulated, that can be a good indicator that, um, you know, whatever the, whatever the amount of carbs you consumed prior to your exercise, you probably didn't do a good job carb loading. And so we think of, again, about that lactate threshold. When you hit that lactate threshold, that's when your muscles start to fatigue and cramp up. Um, I think that's a really good, good tool or could be a very good proxy for athletes who like soccer as a good example, which is more aerobic fitness, um, could very, be a very good, could be a very good re reasonable, um, health wearable device to try to periodize someone's nutrition to, uh, to delay injury or to also help optimize performance. Yeah, I, I, I do think it has some potential, but I, I think one of the cautions, and I, I think you rightly pointed out, is um, it's another point of data, right? It's simply a tool, and we have a lot of other tools. And because of the amount of data, you need someone like a pharmacist or someone who really understands it to guide an athlete or, or a patient through how to even make sense of it. So I, I think it might have potential as well, as you said, but I think we've got to learn a little bit more and lean on people like yourself to kind of decide when is it really beneficial as we move forward. Um, another right. thing another thing I wanted to ask about was you'd mentioned that you do some nutrigenomics. So maybe explain a, a, a couple of examples of what that is and how you use that in your practice. So, yeah, so nutrigenomics is pretty much the interaction of one's nutrition and their genes. And so typically nutrigenomics, uh, the test that we do, we partner with a company called nutrigenomics with an X at the end. Um, it's pretty much a mouth swab or a cheek swab and they collect your saliva, you send it into a lab, and they pretty much analyze it. It takes about four to six weeks to come back. And what's really interesting is it comes with a report, and it tells you which nutrients you can be at a elevated risk of being deficient in, or it tells you which nutrients your body essentially um, uh, optimizes or metabolizes the best. And I always say say this to, to Justin, what, um, it's important to make sure we're quantifying whatever we're measuring, right? 
And so the nutrigenomics is, to your point, just one data point. And so how do we also couple this or pair this up with like lab tests to actually measure, okay, uh, if someone, if the nutrigenomics report comes out and it says um, you're at an elevated risk of vitamin D, but like, let's just say you do lab testing and your vitamin D is normal. Blood testing is obviously more accurate than a mouth swab. And so essentially, again, it's just used as a proxy. And so for the athletes I work with, the main thing I try to focus on is, um, is actually a, uh, a gene specifically for athletes that can be at an increased risk for like an Achilles tear or, for example, um, a rotator cuff injury. And then I start to dig deeper into asking, hey, do you have a family history? You know, has your father, your mother had a rotator cuff tear or, you know, um, your, your mother or father had some type of Achilles tear in the past? And then that's when we really start to dial in and partner up with the strength and conditioning coach or then also the sports nutritionist to figure out, okay, how do we prevent this player or this athlete from getting into a pathogenic state? And this is where personalized or periodized training programs kind of come into play. And so essentially, I'm just the analyzer of the different nutrients, and I interpret how these nutrients are being metabolized and this information gets sent over to the sports nutritionist and the strength and conditioning coach. So that way that they can periodize whatever plan they have for the athlete to one, either optimize their performance or reduce the risk of injury. So based on all of that data, are there any commonalities you see in terms of uh, most common nutrient de deficiencies? For example, I'm sitting here in Ohio. We're all vitamin D deficient in the Midwest, right? <laughs> we all know that. But I'm yeah. here down there in Florida. I'm curious with the athletes that you work with, are there any common ones that you happen to see? Believe it or not, even though Florida is, is full, of, uh, full of sunshine, um, vitamin D okay. is a common one. Um, and I will say more for like the female athletes and them being at risk for um, low energy availability. Um, iron is a common one as well. Um, and then sometimes it can be it can be vitamin C, um, which is something you can kind of check for, too. And so but the, for the most part, the most common ones are, are iron and, uh, and vitamin D. No, I'm sure part of what you do is uh, helping to recommend good supplements for different people. And you've kind of already alluded to this, but sometimes that supplement market can be the wild, wild west, right? You don't necessarily know what you're getting in the product, and you've got to be very careful with how you select those. So could you take us through maybe some of your general rules or approaches to finding really solid supplements for the athletes you work with? Yeah, and so... Typically, one, you want to make sure that it's third-party tested. And so typically with sports teams, uh, you have a committee. Each sports league has a committee. And they say part of their committee statement, like, hey, we recommend or we mandate all athletes take supplements that are third-party tested. And I'll give you an example. You have NSF certified. You have uh, informed consent. And so these are the two, these are the two popular ones. And so typically when it comes to athletes, it's that vetting process of one, making sure the supplement is legal by verifying that it's NSF certified or it's informed consent. 
And then here's the other piece, Justin, I think this is where uh, the, the sports, the clinical sports pharmacist can have the most value. Just because it's NSF certified or it's informed consent, third party tested, does not always carry over into it being the also a clinically effective dose. And so that's where my role kind of comes in by understanding the research, by understanding how certain supplements are metabolized. And there's two things to this, right? The first thing is there's mechanisms and theories, which makes sense on a biochemical level, but then there's also outcomes. Outcomes is typically measured through the research. And, and you said it earlier, like we're inundated with so many different options of supplements. And so who can be that gatekeeper or that that vetting police to make sure what an athlete is taking is not only legal, but also effective? Yeah, what a role pharmacists can play in that area. That's what's wonderful. I, I want to shift a little bit and ask a little bit about interprofessional collaboration. I know you're a big believer in this. You've already kind of mentioned this earlier, but how has collaborating with other people in your practice helped you to serve your athletes in new and better ways? Oh, it's, it's, it's been phenomenal. Um, we have a great team at Baptist, uh, you know, between the athletic trainers, the medical assistants and the sports medicine doctors, and we really know our role. And um, that relationship and that, that three-way communication between myself and then the other uh, providers that are part of an, uh, an athlete's healthcare team has been very pivotal and essential to an athlete's uh, health and performance. And so I used the, the inset example um, a little bit earlier. You know, constantly I have athletic trainers and, and sports medicine doctors knocking at my door okay, what insights should we use in this patient's and the list off things that they've used in the past will pretty much give me a comprehensive medical review of the, of the athlete. And then that's when I'm, I'm really able to drill down into saying like, hey, should we use uh, a topical insight? Should we use an oral insight? Or do we even need to use an insight? Should we use a steroid? Um, should we use a steroid tablet? And so, or should we use a lidocaine patch? And so, you know, that communication, and I think that each key stakeholder on an athlete's, on an athlete's uh, healthcare team, understanding each other's role, I think is essential to the success of the interdisciplinary work that you see for these athletes. Interprofessional collaboration is, is so important in, in many practices, but uh, I can see the the great value where you are. You know, Brandon, as you're talking, it also makes me think about how the pharmacist could be um, a key in helping to figure out the right dose, right? Because a lot of times, and you've mentioned this with the supplements, the clinically appropriate dose, um, we think about NSAIDs or, or other things. You may be working with a 300-pound offensive lineman who's a football player and a 95-pound female marathon runner, Right. They yeah. may have similar injuries sometimes um, or similar needs, but the dosing, even though they're both adults, might be drastically different. So is that something that you're also working with, trying to figure out not only the clinically effective dose for supplements, but also for prescription and over-the-counter drugs? Yeah. So that's really where uh, the kinetics and pharmacodynamics play a part. Um and you bring up you bring up bring up a great point. Some medications would be appropriate 
to be their weight-based dose, or sometimes it's all about just using your clinical judgment to see how a particular medication or supplement is cleared from the body. So, Brandon, I want to shift again because not only is, is your story inspiring, but you've been instrumental in paving the way for other people to get into the sports pharmacy industry. And so I'd love to ask a little bit more about some of the other things that you do outside of your role at Baptist Health. You've mentioned, um, I believe, the uh, the pharmacy athlete, which is your consulting stuff. And I know you've got some other things going too. So tell us a bit about some of the other things you're doing to push sports pharmacy forward for everyone. Yeah. And so I, I think it starts with one, you know, obviously respecting the the people that's kind of already, um, for lack of a better word, founded a part of sports pharmacy in the beginning. You know, I give much credit to uh, to Robert Nickel, who I always call the godfather, godfather of sports pharmacy. Don't know if you heard of heard of him and some of his initiatives that he's done uh, early in the 90s when I was probably just a little baby. Um, on him working with some of the sports teams. Uh, you have Ashley Anderson, who focuses more on um, WADA, which is World Anti-Doping Agency, and more, which is more of the international field of sports pharmacy, which uh, Athena Cannon, she's another one. And so when I think of sports pharmacy and some of these, um, um, for lack of a better word, again, some of these founding members per se, for me, it was building on top of that based off of the things that kind of I've been exposed to that I feel like can add very good clinical value. And so that's why I've added like the clinical sports pharmacist attached to that because a lot of my role is very clinically oriented versus previously it was more focused around like, you know, banned substances and protecting athletes from clean sport. And so a part of the sports uh, RX network or sports pharmacy network that me and a team of people who are in the same space that I'm in, Jessica Bill Stahl, who um, is a very instrumental person in sports pharmacy and some of the work that she's done is very, very tremendous. Um, it's really about, you know, harvesting some of those skills that I've learned and practice and then creating a foundation or an organization to figure out how can this also be instituted in other either health systems or for people who want to do this as a consultant is because the need is there. You know, I see it every day. And so a part of our role is really heightening, heightening the awareness and educating other healthcare providers, whether that be athletic trainers, strength and conditioning coaches, sports medicine providers, on the value that a sports med uh, that a sports uh, pharmacist can actually provide to their practice to help with the performance of some of these of some of these athletes, and so we we tend we push out a lot of content that we feel like is very relevant um, towards some of the members that are that are in our organization, um, which are typically you know pharmacists who are interested in this space. Uh, you know, Jess and I just did a CE uh, back in October and September, which was on uh, medication um, induced nutrient depletion, which is a big one. And that's a big role pharmacists can play. And so it's really building, building content, um, making those connections with those other 
uh, key stakeholders that are part of an athlete's healthcare team and using that as our, our skeleton or our foundation, again, to help bring awareness around um, some of the initiatives that clinical sports pharmacists can do. So tell us a bit more about the sports pharmacy network itself. I, I think some of what you just mentioned stems directly out of it, but what are you trying to accomplish with the sports pharmacy network? So we want, oh, first, and first, first, and, first and foremost, we want to create more positions. <laughs> you know, And the way that we create more positions is by putting out more content and making more connections is because peop what people don't know, they won't always look for. And so for us, it's creating the proof of concept, which we've kind of already done at, uh, at, a, at a health system, which is Baptist Health, right? And proving its value, because all doctors want to see that. They don't have much time to waste. And then two, putting out content and then kind of warming up the field to have pharmacists be confident and then also giving them the tools of things that maybe they can sharpen their skills on to be to be prepared and well and well poised for positions that could potentially open up. I mean, you look at USC, um, which is a college out in California that uh, for my basketball fans that Bronny James plays at. Um, they just put up a position for a, a clinical sports pharmacist. Um, and so making those connections, putting out the content, creating a proof of concept. Um, so that way it can translate into more positions um, is ultimately our goal at the Sports Pharmacy Network. And then making those connections, again, Justin, with those other healthcare providers, um, such as, you know, the athletic trainers and some of the other folks that I mentioned earlier. I mean, we're speaking at a few events this year. Uh, we're at the National Athletic Training Association. We're at a more local convention in July, which is the Florida Athletic Training Association. And so, you know, using that omni-channel strategy by, you know, putting content out on social media, but it's another thing to actually go out there and talk to people, present, and by all these different channels of communication, and then also preparing our pharmacists to be, um, to be well positioned to take on these roles as they start to pop up is essentially really our goal for the for the network. Brandon, where can our listeners go to learn more about all of the different things that the Sports Pharmacy Network is putting forward? Sure. So it's sportsrxnetwork.com. Remember, sportsrxnetwork.com. Uh, we do have some membership offerings, uh, one for students and then one for pharmacists and then also allied health professionals. Um, the other piece I forgot to mention too, Justin, is, you know, this can easily be, uh, be, be inserted into independent pharmacies as a specialty or as a branch. And so them trying to collaborate with, uh, with, others, with local sports medicine doctors and orthopedic physicians and building that collaborative practice agreement, I think that's another space um, that can potentially open is because we know independent pharmacies, they're constantly looking for ways to innovate and expand their practice. I think this is a new specialty arm that they can add to it. Yeah, I think that is a fantastic idea. Uh, tell us just in a, a few moments here a little bit more about the pharmacy athlete, the consulting arm of what you get to do. 
Yeah. And so, you know, with the with the consultant piece, uh, you know, a lot of my work has been with, uh, again, some of the pickleball players, and they're really looking for ways to kind of optimize their nutrition to help allow that to translate into performance gains on the court. And then some of my high school athletes, um, I do a lot of talks on uh, bone mineral density strength is because that's typically the population that's most vulnerable for stress fractures, especially with your females athletes dealing with one, um, with their growth plates still developing, two, menstrual cycles that puts them at risk for stress fractures, and then three, also being at that risk for uh, being iron deficient. Um, I'm doing I'm doing a lot of talks around nutrient metabolism in that space. And so um, from a consultant side, that's where I'd say for the most part, a lot of my work is, uh, is established in. Okay, I have one last question for you, Brandon. And that is, if you were to look at your um, crystal ball, if you were look into the future of where sports pharmacy is going, are there any trends that you find most interesting or things that you think might emerge in the next few years? Um, understanding blood biochemistry better. And so right now there, right now, when it comes to blood biochemistry, the reference ranges are just the reference ranges for the lab testing is very standard, meaning that, you know, whatever the reference range is, that's normal. That's within a normal range, uh, is the same for same for an athlete versus your average Joe Smo that's walking down the street. Um, there's more research that's being done. I know vitamin D has come out where the athlete reference range for that is between 50 and 100 uh, versus your standard person is, uh, is 30 to 100. And so that's one way, again, tapping into that clinical toolbox. And then also um, what you mentioned earlier is the health wearable devices. Um, you have the CGMs. There's more information, I'm sure, more research coming out with that. Uh, the O-ring and how sleep can impact an athlete's performance. Um, and so between wearable devices, uh, understanding blood chemistry, I'm sure that there's going to be uh, more uh, metabolic testing that's going to come out too, um, especially around the microbiome. <laughs> you know, that's been a hot topic for a while. So I think anything essentially that connects to um, an athlete's pathogenic state is because you have, you know, an athlete optimizing their performance as one, but the other piece is how do you keep them healthy and on the field? And how do you keep, how do you, how do you make those two things congruent? And so I see the, the clinical pharmacist, the future of that really tapping into those few things um, as more research and innovation kind of comes on in those spaces. Yeah, I am super excited to watch where this idea of sports pharmacy goes forward. And I really do think it is a, a place that's ripe for entrepreneurship. There is There are athletes everywhere, right? As you said, in some ways, we're all athletes, right? We just haven't found that potential yet. And so if we take that mindset 
there is opportunity everywhere for pharmacists to make a real difference. And I am super thankful for you taking time to give us a little bit about uh, your story, sports pharmacy, and really inspire all of us to think more about this field. Uh, I have learned a ton, and I am excited for um, other people to hear more about sports pharmacy too. So thanks again for coming on the podcast. Absolutely. Hey, thanks a lot for having me, Justin. You have been listening to Disrupt, a podcast from the Cedarville University Center for Pharmacy Innovation. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe and share this podcast with others. Thanks for listening.